All right. Hey, if you uh, if have a, a copy of God's Word or your phone, uh, find the book of John, please, the Gospel of John. And uh, we're going to be in two places today. We're going to be in John chapter 1 and John chapter 6. Uh, we're in a series entitled Getting Out, and uh, Kenny started that for us uh, a couple weeks ago before Love Shelbyville Day. And we're going to be uh, talking about this for the month of November. So um, here's, the, here's the proposition behind this series, right? Becoming a disciple maker, becoming somebody who makes disciples, followers of Christ, isn't just something that high-level Christians do, okay? It, it is actually God's plan for how we get outside of ourselves and become who God created us to be. That, that beginning to make other followers of Christ is what helps us become the people that God intended us to be. And so, so we're talking about how that can be. And, and, and even more than that, in this season, where it seems like life has kind of caved in on us and crashed in on us in so many ways, it is quite literally the way that we get outside of ourselves and outside of the things that feel as though they are trapping us. So uh, that's, that's the premise behind all of this. And last week, Kenny did a great job. Where's, I don't know where he is, but two cheers for Kenny. Kenny did a great job of starting this series. Kenny uh, started in this idea of stepping out of the crowd. What's it look like to step out of the crowd? And he, he talked, he compared Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler and, and what it looked like for one of them to actually step out of the crowd and say, I want to learn and seek more about this Jesus and, and then one who didn't. And so uh, the question becomes, as we move forward in this pathway, what do you do when you step out? What do you do when, you, when there's that switch in your brain that says, okay, I'm done just hiding in the crowd. I'm done trying to just go with the flow. I want to intentionally seek out Jesus. What do you do then? What's next? And that brings us uh, to our passages for today, okay? And we're going to compare uh, two sets of disciples, you might say. And so let me read those two passages for us really quickly and then uh, and pray together for our time in the Word. First one, uh, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. Since the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, he found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. And then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than this. And then he said, truly I tell you, You'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And then if you would, flip over to John chapter 6, beginning in verse 60. It says, Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. 
Who can accept it? And Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, just as Peggy has said earlier, that for some reason these accounts are in the, the gospel story, that you've put them in your word. And Lord, we pray that you, through your spirit, would help us to understand not only why they're there, but how they change our lives and the way that we live. Father, as we come to you this morning, we do also just pray that you would transform us and change us and prepare us to be missionaries in our world. We know and, and pray for our community and our country even this week. We know election is coming. We know change is inevitable. We know uh, responses are going to be so crazy. And Lord, we just ask and pray that we would be transformed by your word, that we would be guided by your word, that we would be grounded and solidified by your word so that we might respond as Christ would respond. Lord, we pray for the many churches that are meeting and gathering here in Shelby County this morning. We pray that we would be lights in a dark place, that you would continue to call us to and remind us that four out of five people in our county are without the hope of Jesus. Because of all those things, Lord, we pray that our time in your word this morning would change us forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've got these disciples in John 6, and thinking about them, I hope, helps us to think about what we do when we actually get to that point of... St because in John 1, Jesus calls his very first disciples to follow him. But by the time we get to John 6, there's a lot more people who are following. Like, it's... it's kind of caught on. Many people have stepped out of the crowd to follow Jesus, and it's, it's really exciting. It, it feels good to, to be joining this Jesus movement, but something really interesting happens right at the end of John 6. I'm sure you picked up on it. People quit following Jesus. People who were once excited about following him, people who stepped out of the crowd and said, yeah, I'm in, they just stopped. They just stopped. Why is this story significant? And why does it matter to us? I think it's important for me to share a little bit of Christ Community's story. Somewhere around 2017, about seven years in, we realized that that very same thing that was happening between John 1 and John 6 was happening here. People would come to CCC. They were excited to, to meet and or follow Jesus. They were excited for uh, this little movement of people that wanted to see Jesus change our community. They would stay for a little bit, maybe not really connect in on a deep level, and then they would leave. Now, 
let me say this first and foremost. I just prayed for and believe in the local church and all the local churches in our county, and so it is more than okay to leave Christ Community Church and go to another church. But it is not okay to leave the church. And, and we watched that happen. Now, our heart here, right, is for people to have their lives transformed by Jesus, to, to be completely changed Him, not, not just come here and have a little bit of a better life or come here and feel good about serving, but to be completely changed by Jesus, transformed by Him, completely different, completely new, to watch people walk away from that opportunity, it's gut-wrenching. And I hope it is for you as well, covenant members. At the same time as we were watching that happen, we were reaching an age as a church where we could see some patterns forming that aren't unfamiliar to other churches. Uh, You might have heard the phrase, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, right? We could see some of that. Uh, we, We saw people's attendance slip from we are there every week to, you can probably count on us being out of town once a month, to we'll probably be at church once a month. And these all had implications, right? And, and, and trust me, I understand. These all had implications, though. General ownership and buy-in diminished. People who once were like, man, that is my church. That is, I'm on mission with those people. Uh, those things went away. People began to ask questions about what the church was providing for them instead of asking how they could join Jesus and going outside. At the same time, there was another implication that was interesting. More and more people began to talk about feeling stuck uh, in their faith or feeling isolated, feeling like they weren't really connected to other people. Uh, Giving and serving became more inconsistent. It wasn't that people were unwilling. People were still doing those things. It was just it just wasn't as consistent. And uh, I don't say any of those things as condemnations. Those things were true in my heart, and, and, and I'm a firm believer that people always need leadership to do those types of things. So I don't say those things at all, but we did begin to wonder why. And so we brought a team of people together back in 2017 to think about some of these issues and to consider if it was a lack of this word that we didn't like to use because we were a really cool church back then called discipleship discipleship. That's becoming more like Jesus, looking more like him, living a life that when people see you, they want to know why you're different. And we wondered, could, it be, could that be part of the issue? So we read this book called No Silver Bullets, and we came to this realization. We were what the book described as a hippie church. So I cut my hair no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But here was the, here was the idea. Here was the, I mean, we are all about loving God and loving people and loving our community. Love, love, love. But we had no plan as to how we were actually going to make disciples and help others do the same. We had very little intentionality. And underneath all that, right, there's this weird assumption. Well, all the new people will get it one day, Right? Like, if we just hang out a bunch, spiritual osmosis happens, dude. Right? That, like that, if you are around, some of you are laughing because you know it's true. Like, just throw another party on Friday night, and eventually those guys are really going to get Jesus. And there's some good to that. Love is good, but love without, without intentionality is not. 
And we realize that if we aren't intentional about becoming more like Jesus, we become less like Jesus. Let me say that again. If we aren't intentional about becoming more like Jesus, we become less like Jesus. Following Jesus isn't a static exercise. Anybody ever seen the show Holy Moly? Holy Moly is like extreme putt-putt golf. And one of the holes is called slip and putt. And it's this like little mountain thing. I don't know what's on it, but it's really slippery. And you have to climb up this slippery mountain, and then you put your ball down, and then you get to slide down. It's really fun. But I get that picture when I think about following Jesus. Like, like you have to intentionally be trying to climb up the hill. If you're not moving up the hill, you're moving down the hill. And for some of the people on that show, it's really fun to watch them not, you know, to slide down the hill. And I think that's oftentimes what happens in our relationship with Christ, and we don't even recognize that it's going on. That if we aren't intentionally working on our relationship with Christ, if we aren't intentionally becoming more like Him, we are becoming less like Him. We're sliding back down into old habits and old patterns and things that we thought we'd already grown past. That was the realization from this team. So over the last three years, we've been trying to make some responses to that. The first thing we did was we defined what discipleship is at Christ Community Church. And we designed, defined it like this. Fostering intentional relationships with one another where we learn to move toward our next step in Christ. There's a lot in that, but I think it's pretty good. Intentional relationships with one another where we learn to move toward our next step in Christ. Uh, at the same time, we had this guy named Kenny. Kenny, we tasked him with leading our community groups back to a place of health because we knew we needed those relational environments. But we also realized that we still weren't really helping people own their own discipleship journey. Like it was still really easy to just hang out in the crowd, do whatever you wanted to, love, 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 and never learn how to make disciples, never become a disciple themselves. And so we began to ask the question, what's the path that someone would need to follow to not only be a disciple, but to make disciples, to actually get outside and join Jesus, which is the vision uh, of the church? And that's when the discipleship pathway began to take form. And so you've seen it in this logo. We've talked about it before, and it's, it's kind of the genesis of this series. And, and so uh, to, to not belabor it, right? Kenny talked last week about what it means to be in the crowd. Sometimes it's, yes, I'm an unbeliever. I'm just out in the community. But other times being in the crowd is, is when we're stuck. It's when we slip back into old patterns and habits. It's when we're not seeking out Jesus. But we, we end up in the crowd. And, but then we hopefully move into a congregation, which we're going to talk more about today community next week, and the core, which is intentionally going back out into the crowd to make disciples. And, and so this tool, right, is designed to help each of us begin to own this process. And when we gather together and when we come together on mission as a church, what we're saying is we're committed to, to doing this, to taking these steps, because that what we, is what we believe as a group that the Lord has called us to. And so all of these are tools and resources that help us become and be better disciples of Jesus. But we're still missing this really important piece, and it's the culture. It's the culture that supports all this. And that's what this series is all about. It's, it's helping everyone to come around this idea that, man, being a disciple maker isn't an optional thing. It's not something that we just think is a really good idea or that we think is a strategy to grow the church. Being a disciple maker is how you become the person that God created you to be. 
It's how we help those that we care about who are hurting, who are lost, who are broken, find hope and life in Jesus. We are hopeful that Jesus uses this month to turn us into a people who are so passionate about making disciples that people in the community start to talk differently about our church. What if people said, if you really want to go to a place that will invest in your life, check out Christ's community. What if people said, if you want to learn to live like Jesus, man, they will teach you how to live like Jesus down there at Christ's community. They will walk with you and help you get it. What if people began to transition? Man, they go out and they serve a ton. But you know why they do? It's all because people's lives are being genuinely changed and transformed by Jesus in that place. Like serving is just the result of the discipleship that's happening. So last week, Kenny talked about stepping out of the crowd. Today, we're talking about what it looks like to be in the congregation phase of the pathway. Congregation. It's kind of a weird word. We don't run around saying, I'm in a congregation. What is a congregation? It's those who congregate. To congregate is to gather. It's, it's this really interesting thing, right? Like Kenny a couple weeks ago says, step out of one crowd, and now today I'm saying, step into another one. A gathering of people. What's the difference? The difference is what you congregate around. It's what brings you together. And in our case, it's, it's who we congregate around and the mission that Jesus has called us to. If you are in the congregation phase, it's because you are committed to gathering with others who want to follow Jesus, no matter what that costs you. No matter what that is going to reveal in your life, no matter what that exposes or what you're going to have to deal with, no matter how hard you're going to have to work to keep following him, if you are in this phase, you are in. You are committed to leading yourself to be a healthy follower of Christ, and you know you know that you need to gather with others that are committed to the same thing. You don't just want to go to church. You need to be there. It's a must. It's a non-negotiable. It's a Saturday night decision, not a Sunday morning one. Like, whoa, Blake, last week I was just stepping out of the crowd. Like, maybe that Jesus, like, maybe that's kind of cool. It's a big step for step one, Blake. Maybe you're even thinking to yourself, I'm not sure it's realistic to ask people to make that kind of commitment in today's day and age. Like, we have so many other things. Like, these people Jesus was dealing with, they didn't have all that. There's just too much going on for that to be a realistic kind of commitment. Maybe you're saying, you don't, like, you don't know my story. You don't know how hard that really is for me. You haven't seen who I really am or how much that affects my career. Do you know how much it would have to change in my life for me to be all in on Jesus, Blake? And the answer is, I don't. I don't have a clue. I know some of your stories a little bit. I know some of your stories a lot. I know some of your stories not at all. But the Gospel of John has some really good news for us today. And that takes us back to John 1 and this encounter that Jesus has with a man named Nathaniel. In verse 46, <laughs> I love Nathaniel's first question when Philip invites him to follow Jesus. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come? I mean, he is completely skeptical. So Nathaniel, he steps out of the crowd. Maybe you stepped out of this crowd, but I'm completely skeptical about this Jesus thing. I'm completely skeptical about being an all-in follower of Christ. 
Because in Nathanael's experience, nothing good came from Nazareth. Now, some of you in the room are skeptics. Maybe all of us are, but some of you really are. And for some of you, you know, like some of you see a skeptic as a really negative person. Some of you see it as a really positive. Like, listen, I want a skeptic because they're going to think through all the details first, right? I, there's, there's skepticism. Now, skepticism always communicates uncertainty, right? I'm just not sure about this. And that's what Nathaniel's trying to say. Like, Philip says to him, hey, come follow Jesus. We found the one. He's like, the one? Can anything good come? I'm not so sure you found the one. And can anything good come from Nazareth? But how many of us have said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm skeptical about how committed I really want to be. Like, I want some of the things that Jesus has, but not all of them. I'm a little uncertain, so I will find what's comfortable for me. There's a lot of Nathaniel in a lot of us. Skepticism also communicates something else with certainty. You see, being skeptical always communicates an openness and a desire to know the truth. It's not that Nathaniel doesn't want to know the truth, it's just that he's skeptical that Jesus is the truth. And so, so many of us can find ourselves right here. And as Jesus always does, man, the truth just cuts through everything. Verse 47, then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, well, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Like, that's just fun old language for Jesus, like, just cutting right through it and calling him out. Like, you're going to question me being from Nazareth? I'm sure there's no deceit in this guy, Right? A lot, like, I just love Jesus. He just gets right to it. The truth of who Jesus is cuts right to the heart of Nathaniel's skepticism. And isn't that true in our own lives? When we put these things up, these barriers to really being all in for Jesus, like, man, Jesus can just slash through those things really quickly. He slashes through them so quickly. And Nathaniel recognizes it, right? And he says, how do you know me? How do you know me? You know, one of our greatest fears, I think, oftentimes in following Jesus is that we're going to be found out. That the things about us are just, man, they're going to be exposed. That people are going to know who I really am. And while that becomes a fear to us when we are without Christ, in Christ, that is the greatest of good news. Jesus sees you for who you really are. And he still loves you. And he still wants the best for you. He sees you for who you really are. And he says, I don't care, follow me anyway. So Jesus shows Nathanael that he knows him. And Nathanael does this really interesting thing. In verse 49, he says, Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He's convinced, right? He's convinced because... What he already knew to be true about who the Messiah would be came into cross with his experience here with Jesus. It came to an intersection here in this moment. Because once Jesus had revealed himself to Nathaniel, Nathaniel was able to connect that to what he already knew to be true. The Messiah was coming, the one promised by God, his own son, and this was him. This was it. You know, coming to Jesus... Being all in with Jesus for you is always at the intersection of what you know to be true about him and, what you, and when you are realizing that he knows everything about you. And Jesus responds, man, 
This is, this is just the beginning. Do you believe just because I saw you under a fig tree? Get ready, Nathaniel. It's going to be a fun ride. Jesus sees you for who you really are. <clears throat> I played college football. I broke my knee my junior year. So many of you have heard that story. A fun part of the story, we were in West Virginia. They had done like a quick look at my knee and just threw me in a van and we drove back to Louisville. And the trainers at Campbellsville University, as soon as we got back, they started treating me for a, an ACL tear. They thought that I'd torn my ACL. Very common knee injury. So uh, I, I, I go to Louisville. I get an MRI. The results weren't supposed to be back for a couple days. I come back, and they're like, we got to try to get you back on the field. So they're, they're doing all of these exercises to try and strengthen the ligaments and tendons in my knee, right, to, to get me ready to get back on the field. And I remember sitting, uh, I was sitting on one of these training tables, and one of the student people was, like, working my leg out. And uh, my results came into the room. The physical trainer took them into the room where he put them on the light. And he's in there, and all of a sudden, like, yelling out for everyone in the training room to hear, Stop! I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, lawyer! Stop moving his leg! I'm a little freaked out. The MRI showed that all of my tendons and ligaments were fine. And in fact, I'd broken a piece of the bone at the top of my knee. And so every time I was moving my leg, I was taking a chance at that piece of bone like coming off and just becoming like a free-floating bone throughout my leg. And so they're like, stop, immobilize it. Everything has changed. The whole plan has changed, right? tell this story because I think there's a lot that we can learn about our own brokenness and about how we relate to Jesus. You see, the MRI, it revealed a broken bone instead of a torn ACL. How many of us, like Nathaniel, think that we can figure out our own brokenness? We, I think we can figure this out. I think I'm okay. I think I've got this. We start working out, we try to get stronger, we try to do certain things, when in reality, the things that we're trying to do for ourselves are actually putting it at a greater risk for injury. Because Jesus sees us for who, who we really are, He reveals what's really broken. He helps us to see what it is that we really need to become perfect followers of Christ. Jesus does the same thing for us that that MRI did for my knee. Proverbs 27, 19 says, As water reflects the face, so the heart reflects the person. And who can see our heart but Christ alone? 1 John 5, 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Jesus sees you for who you really are. And so you must submit yourselves to him so that you can see yourself for who you truly are. You cannot diagnose yourself spiritually. The truth of who you are is only exposed by the one who can see you for who you really are. The more you see Jesus, the more you see yourself. We congregate together. We commit to one another to seek and to know Jesus. Because that's the only way that we can really know ourselves. We can't take a personality inventory 
in our closet and know who we really are. We can't sit at home and think about our life and figure out who we really are. We can't have a few conversations with our friends and figure out who we really are. We can only see ourselves when we see Jesus clearly. Too often we see gathering together as an obligation to fulfill, when in reality, it's a grace that helps us to better see ourselves because we learn to see Jesus more clearly. So what should you and I do to make that commitment, and more importantly, to keep that commitment? Here's where John 6 comes in. In John 6, we meet this group of people, right, that thought they could know themselves without knowing Jesus. Jesus has just talked to them. We didn't read this part, but he's just talked to them about being the bread of life. And he gives this instruction about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. The message was overwhelming. Like, I can't compute. I can't comprehend. Do what, Jesus? Consume me, right, is what he's saying. Know me. But this seemed like too much work. It seemed like a slow path to what they really wanted. They wanted to see Jesus work miracles in their lives. They wanted to be hashtag blessed by Jesus. They didn't want to consume Jesus. They didn't want to know more about Jesus, not understanding that that would help them to see who they really were. And so from them, we can learn what not to do when seeking Jesus together. And as a result, what we can do to commit to being a part of this church family here in Shelbyville. Two things. Number one, commit, don't complain. This must become our mindset in this phase, that we commit and not complain. John 6, verse 60 and 61 says, Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, Does this offend you? Why do we complain? Why do we fall into the habit of complaining? We complain because it's a really easy way to find common ground with somebody. If I complain about having to wear a mask, if I complain about how hard quarantine is, if I complain about a certain political party, if I complain, I can find common ground with somebody. And we all want to do that. And, and then before we know it, we repeat that process because we're just trying to get to know somebody. And then it becomes a habit. And then we're just complainers. And nobody likes complainers. 1 Corinthians 10.10 is reminding uh, the believers about, what it, about complainers in the Old Testament and, and the result of that uh, for them. Let me flip over if we don't have it on the screen. 1 Corinthians 10.10. There it is. And don't complain, as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroyer, right? Like complaining has real results, real problems. So how do we overcome this temptation to complain and honor our commitment? First and foremost, it's only with the help of Christ, who sees you for who you are and in turn helps you see yourself. But practically, how do you stop complaining? There's lots of ways, but let me suggest this. How about one issue at a time? Pick one thing this week to stop complaining about and see how it changes your life. When you stop complaining, then you can actually begin to commit to something because it helps you to embrace something difficult. It's one thing I love about Nathaniel's story. In John 21, uh, verse 2, at the very end of the book, we read this. It, and it seems insignificant, but it helps us to understand. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. Nathaniel stayed. He committed. He stuck through it all. 
So what does it look like to commit here at CCC? What does it look like to do what Morgan and Mariana are doing? 101 is our tool to help us do that. There's lots of other ways, but that really lays the foundation. And you can, you can do that on your own time in your own home at loveshowville.com slash 101, okay? But let me give you one other reason why I think it's really important to think about becoming a member of a local church. I'd love it if you did it at Christ Community, but a local church. Committing to a local church is committing to the bride of Christ. And when you commit to the bride of Christ, you will certainly see Jesus more. Ephesians 5.32 talks about marriage, right? The most sacred human relationship and commitment that we make. And as is detailed in Ephesians 5, it then says at the end, this mystery is profound, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. There are few decisions as important as deciding to commit to a local church. But unfortunately, we have reduced its significance down in a similar way to that of the commitment of marriage. Commit, don't complain. Following through on that commitment requires one other thing, and that's your personal mission in life to change. I want to challenge your, your personal mission to change today from, leading, from serving yourself to leading yourself. And there's a huge difference. You see, the crowd, if you're in the crowd, you want to be entertained. You want to consume what entertains you. But the congregation, if you're in that phrase, you, you want to lead yourself to a place of health. You want to consume good spiritual food. You want to exercise your faith and rest in the Lord. And this happens, right, in the everyday, ordinary decisions between what we want and what we need. And these decisions are much harder than we think. Leading yourself as opposed to serving yourself is really a question about what we do when things get hard. In verse 66, we read about what happened. It said, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. They quit when things got hard because it didn't feel good anymore. I'm reminded of what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. He says, don't you know that the runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I don't run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Learning to lead yourself spiritually isn't about having it all figured out. It's about how you respond to the sin in your life. Do you just want grace and forgiveness, or do you want the Lord to deliver and free you from your sin? Jesus doesn't want you to just keep giving grace to your sin. Jesus doesn't want to just keep giving grace to your sins, sorry. He wants to give you grace as you show grit in, in walking in the new life that he's giving you. What expectations do we have of one another here at Christ Community? What does it look like to push ourselves, to, to lead ourselves spiritually instead of just consuming again and again? Here at Christ Community, we've taken on 13 core covenants that we expect of one another. Uh, we've got some copies of that back by the giving can if you want to grab one on your way out. And I'd encourage you, even if you've been here, to be reminded of what we expect of one another. I've wrestled with whether or not to say this, but I think it's important. It's a hard truth. If you are not committed to leading yourself to seek Jesus, to really seek Jesus, you're not truly a part of this congregation yet. And that's hard. That doesn't mean that you can't be, 
or that you won't be or that we don't want you to be. That doesn't mean that you can't come hang out with us or be in the crowd with us or jump in and serve and hang out every chance you get. We want all of those things. But if you haven't made that commitment to leading yourself to seek Jesus, you're not really a part of the congregation yet. Because this congregation is committed to leading ourselves to seek out the one true God who came to us as the man Jesus Christ. We want, no, we need, we need to know more about him. We desire to understand him more. We want to seek to understand how high, how wide, how deep his love for us really is. And with that, to have the confidence all along the way that we will continue to learn the truth about who we really are. So my question is, are you committed to that? To seeking Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's a similar question that Jesus posed to the twelve after the crowds had left. Verse 67 says, So Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? And I love Peter's response. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? Like, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. What an incredible way to express his deep commitment to the Lord. Where else would we go? What's better than this? To be seen by Jesus Christ, to be known by him and called into his mission of redeeming and restoring the world, of making all things beautiful again. I've already gone long enough, and so I won't complicate it. Are you committed to that? And where else would you rather go? How will you express your commitment to the Lord today? As the band comes, we're going to sing. There's all kinds of ways that you might express your commitment to the Lord. He might be pressing on you about a certain area of your life that you need to give back over to Him. Today, if you need to give, there's a can in the back, or you can go to loveshove.com slash give. Today, if maybe you just realize you aren't actually all in on Jesus, you've just kind of been holding Him off here as this little friend that makes you feel better at certain times, and you need to give your whole life to Him, I'll be down front, and I'd love to talk to you about that. Whether you're here or you're online and you're like, man, I need to step into like really committing to a local church. You can go to loveshovel.com slash connect or find one of the staff members and we'll help you take those steps. Maybe you already know, like I just need to take 101. That's slash 101, okay? We're trying to, we're trying to make that website thing easier. The question is, how will you express your commitment to the Lord today? How will he know and how will your church family know that you're committed to seeking and knowing him more so that you can enjoy the grace and the blessings of knowing yourself better all at the same time. Let me pray for us as we respond. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are, for seeing us for who we really are. May the grace of that good news not get by us today. And may we lean into it and respond to it because your spirit is helping us to understand who we really are. We pray that your word would continue to change us day by day and that, man, we would be a people and a church that look different. Not because of something we do, but because of who we are.
because Jesus is overflowing out of our hearts and our minds and our lives. We can't get enough of him. Quicken our hearts for you, Jesus, as we respond to the grace of your good news today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.